Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SayMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And in this Q&A episode, the question I will be answering is, what question should I ask my endocrinologist? So this especially would be applicable during your first appointments, although arguably if you already had an initial appointment, you might be able to still ask some of these during your next appointments. So the first question I would probably ask is, how much experience do you have with hyperthyroidism Graves' disease? So this is specific, of course, for those who have hyperthyroidism Graves' disease. If, if someone's listening to this and they have Hashimoto's, you could ask that same question. But to be honest, most endocrinologists have a decent amount of experience working with patients with hypothyroidism Hashimoto's but I commonly see endocrinologists who seem like they honestly have no clue when it comes to working with people with hyperthyroidism. They, they of course, learn about prescribing antithyroid medication and they know about radioactive iodine thyroid surgery, but they don't have much experience working with hyperthyroid patients. And many times they won't test the thyroid stimulating immunoglobulins, for example. They'll test the TPO antibodies and all the antithyroglobulin antibodies, which are more commonly associated with Hashimoto's. So right off the bat, I would ask that question, how much experience do you have with working with people with hyperthyroidism, Graves' disease? And they might not give you an honest answer because they might be embarrassed if they've only seen a few patients with hyperthyroidism. But on the other hand, some might be upfront with you and say, well, you know, I see mostly people with hypothyroidism as well as patients with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, for example, but I don't see too many people with hyperthyroidism. And if that's the case, you might choose to go somewhere else. It really depends. If it's the, if the personality of the endocrinologist is really good, even if they don't have a lot of experience, if they seem like they're a little bit more open-minded, that's a good thing, even if they don't have a lot of experience. But if they don't seem like they're open-minded and on top of this, they don't have a lot of experience with hyperthyroidism, then you might want to see if you could find a different endocrinologist who does have more experience working with hyperthyroid patients. Another question to consider asking is approximately what percentage of your patients with hyperthyroidism end up receiving radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery? Again, they, they may or may not tell you this, but if 80% of their patients end up receiving radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery, then once again, this might not be the best fit for you. You might want to look to work with another endocrinologist. But let's say if their response is, well, I'm not exactly sure, but we try to do everything we can to prevent someone from receiving radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery. Now, quite frankly, that response probably is rare, but if you get that response, that's a really good response. And I would probably stick with the endocrinologist under those circumstances, under the if they had that response to the question. And then, so let's say if you're working with a natural healthcare practitioner, so you may or may not want to bring this up to the endocrinologist. Many times it's best not to bring it up, but some people want to be upfront. So if that's the case with you, then you might want to say something like, well, I understand that most endocrinologists don't think that eating well will help to improve one's 
thyroid health, one's immune system health, if you have Graves' disease. But I think you'd agree that doing things to improve my health through diet and lifestyle won't hurt either. And maybe pause and see what they how they respond and just just ask is do, do you mind if I work with the natural healthcare practitioner in combination with you to work on diet and lifestyle and you know maybe take some supplements and just see what they have to say and this of course is assuming you're taking antithyroid medication because really if you're not taking antithyroid medication there's not much of a reason to keep on seeing an endocrinologist. Now, again, I'm not telling anybody to stop seeing the endocrinologist, but really uh, the two main reasons people see, or there's really, initially they might see an endocrinologist to get diagnosed with Graves' disease or toxic multinodular goiter. But after that initial visit, the two reasons people continue seeing an endocrinologist is to get a prescription for medication such as methimazole, for example, and another reason is for blood test. And many endocrinologists won't want to see you just for the sake of blood tests. And you could get blood tests on your own, at least in the United States and in most states you could do this. But if you are getting a prescription for antithyroid medication and also the, the blood test, then you, you might decide to be upfront with the doctor. Now, if for me, I don't know if I would tell the doctor. When I, when I was dealing with Graves' disease, I saw an endocrinologist for one visit, and that was it. If I continued seeing the endocrinologist, and let's say if I took the antithyroid medication, you know, I'm not sure if I would mention anything about taking a natural treatment approach. I guess I would feel out the endocrinologist, but quite, again, most endocrinologists aren't, aren't open-minded when it comes to natural treatment methods. So it really is up to you. Now, many endocrinologists will recommend the rate active iodine uptake test, and I do have an episode where I talk more about this, so I won't get into great detail. I will say I'm not a huge fan of this test. If you already had it, that's fine. I wouldn't stress out over it. But if you haven't had it, I would ask them, how will receiving this test change the treatment recommendations? Because usually it doesn't change the recommendations. Usually, regardless of whether someone gets the uptake test or not, they'll be given the choice of antithyroid medication, radioactive iodine, or thyroid surgery. Now, if someone has subacute thyroiditis, that's more temporary and usually surgery, radioactive iodine won't be necessary, won't be recommended by most endocrinologists. But if an endocrinologist does the antibodies, if they test for the antibodies, let's say in the case of Graves' thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, and they come back positive, then you know that you have Graves' disease. And so really, you wouldn't want to do the uptake test for this purpose. Now, again, they'll say, well, we want to do it for nodules and see if you have hot and cold nodules. And again, I talk more about this during the episode where I focus on the radioactive iron uptake test. But again, in most cases, this test is unnecessary. So still, you might want to ask how will this change the treatment recommendations and maybe see if you could postpone this test. Again, this is ultimately up to you. I'm not telling anybody not to get the test, but I know in... When I was dealing with Graves' disease, the endocrinologist I was working with for that single appointment, she told me not to get the radioactive iron uptake test because it's too expensive. And to me, that was an immediate red flag, just saying, well, so does that mean if it's covered by insurance, you recommend it? And if it's not covered by insurance, you don't recommend it? Anyway, let's, let's move on to the next question that you might want to ask. And in this case, if antithyroid medication is recommended, 
then there's a few questions you might want to ask. So one might be, what will you recommend if I have a negative reaction to the medication? So let's say you're taking methimazole, if they prescribe methimazole. So what approach will you take if I have a negative reaction? Will you just jump into the radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery? Or will you recommend a different type of antithyroid medication, such as PTU? So that's uh, something that you might want to ask. And then another question is, how long do you typically have patients take medication, antithyroid medication for? The average will be 18 months to 24 months. But it's nice to hear what they say. And they might tell you without asking. But if not, definitely ask. And again, of course, if you're not taking antithyroid medication, this doesn't apply to you. But another question you might want to ask if you're taking antithyroid medication is if I'm, or if they prescribe anti-medication, you might not be taking it yet, but if they prescribe it, you might ask, well, if I'm not in remission, let's say if they recommend it and they say that you'll be on it for 18 to 24 months. So you might want to ask if I'm not in remission after 18 to 24 months, would you be open to myself staying on a small dosage of the antithyroid medication? So for example, taking five milligrams of methimazole daily or 2.5 milligrams of methimazole daily. Now, the ideal situation is while you're on the antithyroid medication, you're doing things naturally, doing things to address the cause of the problem, to get into remission naturally, to restore your health, so you don't need to be on the antithyroid medication long-term. So this is just kind of like a backup plan in case if, first of all, if someone chooses not to follow a natural treatment protocol, they, they might just say, oh, I'm just gonna take the antithyroid medication and see what happens after 18 months or after two years. And so if two years goes by, you don't want the endocrinologist to be pressuring you to receive radioactive iodine. And in some other countries, they're more open to the person taking low-dose antithyroid medication. You just want to make sure they monitor the liver enzymes. And that might be another question too. Will you, if I'm on the antithyroid medication, are you going to run a comprehensive metabolic panel that looks at the liver enzymes or just a separate liver enzyme panel, a separate hepatic panel, and then also a complete blood count to make sure the white blood cell count isn't depressed. So that's another question you might want to ask. Are they going to do those tests, at least initially, but not a bad idea to do it every now and then, a CBC, which is a complete blood count, or a CMP, which is a comprehensive metabolic panel. So these are some questions to ask if you're taking antithyroid medication. And then another question you might want to ask if you're taking antithyroid medication, if they prescribe antithyroid medication or considering taking it, is if they're familiar with cholestyramine for the treatment of hyperthyroidism. Again, I discussed cholestyramine in an earlier episode. It was either episode two or three. I forget which one, but check back. You might as well just listen to both of those episodes. And cholestyramine is an alternative. It, it's not commonly recommended for hyperthyroidism, but but it is in the literature. I've had a few patients on it and they did well. So if someone can take antithyroid medication, again, there's herbs such as bugaweed, which I also discussed. That I discussed in episode number three. But some people, the bugaweed doesn't work, for example, and they react to the antithyroid medication. And many endocrinologists aren't aware of cholestyramine for the treatment of hyperthyroidism. So again, something to maybe ask to see if they're open-minded enough where they are willing to prescribe that and you could show them the literature, show them the research. And then maybe you also might want to ask them about low-dose naltrexone as a backup. Again, these are backup plans. The goal is 
Hopefully most people listening to this are doing things to address the cause of the problem. But uh, again, some people won't address the cause of the problem. Or again, some people while addressing the cause of the problem will be on the medication, which is fine. I mean, I, I, have, I have nothing be, against being on the medication on a temporary basis while trying to address the cause of the problem. But the problem is if someone has a negative reaction to the medication, they might need to do something else or else the endocrinologist will pressure them to receive radioactive iodine, thyroid surgery, cholestyramine, low-dose naltrexone are options to consider. And again, I spoke about both of these in, in an early episode. And the thing about low-dose naltrexone, at least in the United States, there are places where you can call up and speak with the practitioner, just like do a telemedicine call and get a prescription. LDNDirect.com is one of them. And um, LDNDoctor.com is another one. So with LDN, you could get a prescription on your own easier than cholestyramine. So yeah, so that's, uh, that's all that's coming to mind. And if other questions come to mind, I will put together another Q&A episode where if, I, if a few questions co- come to mind that I didn't think of, but hopefully hopefully you found this to be valuable, especially if you haven't had your initial endocrinologist appointment yet. But even if you did have your first appointment, these are questions, some of these questions you still might decide to ask. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health related topics. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.